And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. This weird-ass 2020 MLB season is over. We've crowned a champion. We have a World Series loser. We have free agency. We have new managers getting hired. We have a whole bunch of shit. Welcome to episode 21 of the Pinch Talk Podcast, as always, with Mario and Pat. I'm your host, Mario. It's a painful time. It's a painful time to be a Rockies fan. Naga holds you. We'll get into that when we get into it. With me, as always, is Pat. How you doing, bro? I'm good, man. Oh, I can't complain. Been very productive lately. Been putting yeah, out articles. Keeping all those articles. Them shits be fire, yeah. bro. Yeah, I, I really had to step it up, you know. Um, and also had to focus on uh some pitch, black pitchers a lot more. So that's been the last three of my four. Um, I'm, I'm cool. I could be worse. So, um, we just like Carlos Santana go, but. Yeah, I know you were sad about that. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sad. Like it, it, it still hasn't really fully hit me yet. Like I'm, I'm hoping to myself that we bring him back on a, on a, on a, on a friendly deal. That's also fair, but I doubt I it. Know, bro. I doubt it. I doubt it. Uh, so what he's talking about? We'll get into that when we get to it. And uh, check out Pat's articles, of course. Like he said, he's been really putting out some work, some good work uh, recently um yeah he's put a whole bunch of shit i'm slacking on my shit because i got stuck writing my own and you know pat gave me a couple you know like guidelines to, sort of to go by just a, just simple can... advice um you you really were covering a, a huge topic just a with a just a, a wide span of events so you really got to break that down yeah. not only for yourself in order to be able to to put it out but also for your the audience to digest as well yeah, that's and one that's, thing I, I and that's need very to important. That's very important. Um, yeah. Especially when it comes to a sport like baseball, when you throw in the numbers and the context and things like yeah. that, you, you really got to um, make sure it's digest, digestible. Yeah, exactly. One good thing, uh, you, you know, one good thing you typically have going for you if you write about baseball is that the average baseball fan has a great attention span because he has to so that plays to your you know two articles maybe being a bit longer than other sort but anyway uh so yeah there's a lot of things to talk about manager like i said managers getting hired free agency qualifying offers and of course the world series now i'd like to throw it over to you first uh give me like um not necessarily like a game by game breakdown of the World Series, you know, or nothing like that, but just like you know your you know your overall impressions on this series as a whole, you know, comparing it to what we thought before this series started. We'll get into how accurate and how inaccurate we were in our predictions uh, when we get to it. But like, yeah, like what you thought of the series as a whole, because it had some great moments, but it also had something that you know you would expect. A couple things. Um. I think it made the worst years made since this year. You had the two best teams in each league make it. Yeah. And not just from a, a as a result of this, of this season standpoint, but from a organizational standpoint, these are also two of the best teams in baseball. What are, they're at least in the top five for sure when it comes to just how the organizations run things. From a narrative standpoint, you had Andrew Freeman, the head of the LA Dodgers. 
We pretty much took the model that he perfected with the Rays and took it to LA. And he also gets billions of dollars to play with each season. Yeah. <laughs> and from a, we're going to get into this, but from a standpoint of an analytics narrative that we're going to have to really break down, um, it showed, it, I feel like this World Series legitimized analytics. Well, actually, you can say the World Series with the Astros and the Dodgers did, but I feel like this one really did, even despite the narrative that the two hosts had sadly and the narrative that the Indian baseball players that they they let talk, David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez, just two of the whoever the fuck. Um, yeah, because I, w- I, w- I was just about to say that. Like, I'm not sure. I think this this World Series might hurt the analytics movement that is i mean to the casual really fan not, to the casual yeah, fan yes yeah i mean and to the, the casual fan to, yeah to the casual narrative fan. absolutely but mlb organizations are not going to budge they're it's not just from the fact that they're too far in or they bought into it too much it, it works that's why they use it yeah that's a fact it works that's that's all there's to say the, the shit works yeah you just saw the rays and the multi-billion dollar budget raise go at it in the World Series. Predictable outcome. But yeah, like people who say like, you know, analytics, you know, I think I think it was Paul O'Neill who said it during the Yankees and Rays series. He said, can't we just get rid of analytics and go back to playing baseball? What the fuck do you think they're doing, bro? <laughs> Every team in baseball uses analytics to some extent. Even like, even the most old school old-fashioned unadvanced uh front offices that would be the royals and the rockies and the pirates yes even those teams those teams would be considered cutting edge in 1993 like that's just a fact so analytics like this is not a battle between analytics and old school analytics won that battle years ago i think people just need to realize that yeah, I, I feel like one thing people don't re- look at with analytics is my is the minor leagues and the player development. Yes, yes, analytics is not a number. Just no. you know, it's about maximizing each player's capabilities. Exactly. Recognizing right. talent, recognizing yes. what players are good at, what they aren't. How can you improve that? And you saw the fucking um po- you saw the fucking computer screen and shit they had in the dugouts with the heat maps and all that stuff for the yeah, scouting reports. Like, and that's simple. there's a reason why they go that far. There's a reason why you you have teams throwing millions of dollars in the fucking analytics departments and shit, hiring Harvard and Ivy League fucking mathematicians and shit like that. Yeah, slow motion cameras and all this stuff. Yeah, edutronic cameras, all the paraphernalia they need. Why? Because it works. Yes, you use that to maximize your players' value by putting the best players you can on the field. Let me. The LA Dodgers would not have identified who's Mac, who Max Muncy was. Yes. And identify the swing change he, he, he needed to make, if not for analytics. That's a simple or fact. Ju- or Justin Turner. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Mookie Betts would have become a 30 plus home run hitter if he was playing in 1980? No. Hell no. no. Hell no. Same with Francisco Lindor, Jose Ramirez, all the other Trevor Story. Well, actually, Trevor Story is actually kind of big, so he probably would have. Not yeah, um, he, he would have. 
He's like 6'2", I think. Yeah, he's like 6'2", 6'3". But people talk about Brandon Lowe, Randy Rose, and Reyna. I mean... Come on, man. Like, there's so many examples of hitters who are made better because they understand their swings. They understand, like, the Marcus mechanics Simeon. that go into them. Yes, yes. And so many pitchers that this can apply to. I mean, you just saw Trevor Bauer had a, have a Cy Young winning season, pretty much. He's the most... You know, he's the most analytically he has pitcher a, in baseball. He has a a unit called a Bauer unit named after him. Yeah. Which is RPM based on in relation to velocity. Yeah, what like whatever all that is. The point is analytics have won. Analytics work. Analytics are going to be here. The problem is using analytics properly, right? And, and also, going to get, and yeah, people being able to comprehend what it is and how it affects the on-field and off-field process. Yeah. Analytics are far more important for team building and player development than for in-game decisions. I think people don't understand that. Organizational philosophy, preference and player types when they draft yes. and things like that as well. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, this is really not a discussion, fam. So we'll talk about, you know, probably a little bit about the reaction you know people blaming analytics for a certain decision that happened in game six uh but first i think it's fair to uh kind of you know recap the entire world series in case y'all didn't know you lived under a rock the la dodgers won their first world series since 1988 if i'm not mistaken they beat the race in six games um the better team won i'm just gonna say that um and i'm also gonna point out that i was on point with my prediction, I said Dodgers in six because the race would not hit enough. And the Dodgers won in six because the race would not hit enough. Um, was there any game that like really surprised you? Aside from game four, of course. Um, I think that's it. Game four was only a real surprise, honestly. I'm looking at the box score and it was really, com- in the moment, it was really competitive. But in hindsight, the Rays didn't hit for shit. Yeah. Besides game four, when they won, when they won, when they hit, when they got eight runs and they got the last two on a fluke ass play, that (laughs) yeah, yeah, we we could just spend about twenty minutes breaking down that one play because I saw so many incorrect takes just flying right after, and nobody really broke it down correctly. But we can do that. Besides Game Four, these are these are the run totals the Rays had. They they scored three in Game One and they lost. They scored six in Game Two and they actually won. They scored two in Game Three. They scored two in Game Five and they scored one in Game Six. And Game Two, they only scored six because Brandon Lau went insane that game. Yeah, like so, he 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 put the team on his back in that game. And the, yeah. this was in the midst of him having a, a terrible postseason. Yeah, and I know that right seems to happen for yeah, that seems to happen with young players, anyways. So, besides Randy Rose and Randy, yo, this motherfucker got to be like the fucking second coming of Teddy Williams or some shit, bro. Like, I'm not understanding like what we just witnessed. He has um, more. He has more in the postseason than he does in his regular season career. That's fuck. Like this is it's so unique because. The man only has about 40, 50 games at the MLB level. Yeah. And he said every single postseason record you could find. Everyone. Had the most hits, had the most home runs, 
most hits for a rookie. Of, yeah, I think he had the most hits. Period. He he might have because because of the extra series, but most hits most hits for a rookie, most home runs. Um, you he was he was really he carried that that race team to a World Series. Yeah, he did. Uh, let me find out, dude. This motherfucker, he had an OPS of 1,200. In the postseason. Yeah, in the entire postseason. This That's motherfucker great. was Barry Bonds in the postseason, bro. Literally. Holy, he slugged 773, Jesus Christ. And what was so interesting was he, he really went to center and, uh, and right center a lot. Yeah. like, And it seemed it was, like... And it was crazy because I, he didn't miss any mistakes. Yeah. And, and it was like, duh. Because in the Yankee series, it was like, well, you know, maybe they should stop throwing him fastballs. Then they started throwing him breaking balls in, in, in latter series. And he started hitting those as well. So it was like, maybe you maybe just not pitch to the guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, why don't you just, I mean, it, it was crazy because every time he came up with two guys on base, everybody yeah. knew he was going to get get a hit. Yeah, if the Reds Everybody. had man on base for Randy Arozarena, they won the game. If they didn't have man on base for Randy Arozarena, they lost the game. That's By as one. simple. Yes. <laughs> and you still hit a home run and two doubles or something in the game. Look, listen. I think we can go like going like game by game. Uh, the Dodgers won game one, eight to three. I. I I expected this to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Uh, I expected the Dodgers to jump all over Tyler Glass now because yeah, they pray they pray on pitchers like him who cannot command his pitches. No, and Tyler Glass knows where you can it consists of his mechanics, and when he gets out of whack, it can be difficult for him to reel it back in, and he he just wasn't competitive at all. Yeah, I think that um. Tyler Glass now typically is the definition of the term effectively wild because he misses so often and by so much that I got to think that even the hitter at the plate doesn't know exactly what's coming. Like you might be expecting a high fastball, but you might get a low fastball and it's not by design. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like he misses constantly. I think also the fact that he's a two pitch pitcher doesn't quite help him. But I mean, you know, like he's still a work in progress. I think Snell is definitely the best, the best pitcher in that staff. Definitely. I mean, he has a Cy Young Award, and people forget that. Yeah. And he's probably the he's the top he's the top three, two lefty in baseball with Clay and Kershaw, maybe as in terms of starting pitchers. And uh, one thing that makes Black Cell unique is he's the hardest throwing starting lefty in baseball. Yes, two great. Um, two great breaking balls and the slit and the slider and curveball. And his changeup is really good as well. But yeah, and he commands them well. And he commands them well. Like you saw in game six. You saw in game six what he could do when when he when all his pitches were on and he could put him whatever wherever he wanted, whenever he wanted. That exactly. curveball he was getting to bend over the top of the strike zone was just ridiculous. The tunnel with his fat I don't know what Kevin Cash was thinking. He should have left him in that game until. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. We'll, oh we'll get my to god, that. bro! We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay. So, the Rays win game two, six to four on the Brandon Lau game. 
uh snell actually pitched that game and i found it interesting you know kind of to get back you know to make, just make a quick point about glass now and where he's at against you no know, versus snell it was very interesting to me to see them pitch uh, games back to back because you could see the difference in their misses like sometimes you can tell a lot by a pitcher by how he misses right mm -hmm. glass when glass now misses it's all over the place like you never know where he's gonna miss you might set a target high and out, you know high and outside he might miss down and in with a fastball but snell when he misses he misses always in the general area of the intended target so that's like you can tell that he's just more advanced but like and you know the better pitch mix all you know also helps but anyway so the dodgers won game three six to two walker bueller was great i thought they should have let him go another inning but that's just me uh you know they won it easy it was not really a contest game four was a fucking insanity of, uh, of a game i think it featured I'm pretty sure it featured like seven half innings in a row where there was at least one run scored. And it was like, someone takes the lead, someone takes it back. Someone takes the lead, someone takes it back. And it was one on one of the most ridiculous walk-offs you will ever see. Honestly, we, we, we kind of mentioned it before. Any way that we can talk about that play, right, doesn't do it justice. You got to go look it up. So... Yeah, like just type in Game 4 220 World Series and look at the end of that game. It is one of the most ridiculous plays you will ever see. Honestly. And uh, you you wanted to go ahead? I caught you. No, you can, you can go ahead, man. I, just, I was just ignoring. Okay, so and then Game 5 Series tied 2-2. Clayton Kershaw on the mound who, by the way, was pretty good in Game 1. And Kershaw has another wonderful start in game five we'll talk about some of his postseason demons and how he exercised them uh this year as well because that's you know part of the narrative um and the and the dodgers win that game four to two again going after glass now early they made glass now throw so many pitches glass now threw like 115 pitches in game one threw a lot in game five he's just not ready to go you know, go up against a, a lineup as, as disciplined as the Dodgers lineup. I mean, he was a lot so, better in Game Five than he was in Game One. Yeah, he was, but he's he's you know still not good enough. And I feel like one thing we also can talk about is the fact that because of Blake Snell's lack of command, he doesn't get as many strike calls as he should. Glasnow, you mean? Glasnow, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, you're fuck. right. You're right on that one. Because if you just just because movement combined with um, also how umpires just a strike zone when they see a catcher with his yeah. club somewhere and he has to move it all the way across his body to catch a ball yeah, even, if, an even if it's ball. a strike he may call it a ball just based on that movement because he's looking at the catcher for contact sometimes yeah exactly and when so you have a when you have a guy that, that's combining velocity and movement like Carter Glass now does it could also make it a little more difficult to call those pitches. Yeah, I'm not going to hold you. I thought the Rays were on the wrong end of a lot of calls. Actually, that was series. pretty fair. Um, I looked at the, the umpire stats and all that, and they got like 90% of the calls right. And it was like a, a slight edge towards the Dodgers, but the Dodgers pitching staff is a lot 
better one in terms of control than the Rays pitching staff is. The one I, I remember is that Corey Seager. Remember when Corey Seager went in and tried to steal second? I think it was game five, actually. Yeah, it was game five against Glasnow. And he tried to steal second with one out. And I think uh, Muncy at the plate. And he tried to steal second. He got caught stealing second, and they called him safe. Right. And he went on to score. And I was like, dog, like one out, runner on second base, is so much different from two out, nobody on base. Like the probability of you scoring a run is so much lower. I thought they got fucked over with that call. And I mean, I'm just me, like just me. I, I'm kind of like fucking around here, like not fully serious, but like I wouldn't be shocked if like you know, like MLB, like you know, said a couple things to the to the umpires and the people, you know, taking a look at this series, you know, just you know, just to make sure an LA team wins the championship. You know that kind of you know that that kind oh, of deal. Um, yeah, that's definitely a possibility, a tangible one at that. Um, this but. is definitely not me being a salty Rockies fan who lost his only joke to keep his dignity. By the way, this is definitely not me doing that. I mean, it's a lot more profitable at the Dodgers one too. It is. I thought I was surprised that the Rays won Game Seven against Houston. Not gonna hold you. I was surprised. I thought for sure MLB would put the call in. Let's have the rematch. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. that's just me being stupid. Let's go and talk about game six. Uh, because there's a lot of things to talk about here. So you want to do kind of a recap of game six? Because I think you actually watched it. I was following it on, you know, I was following the game on uh, the MLB at, uh, at Bat app because I didn't want to put the game on. And potentially wake people in my house because it was like like three like two a.m. and shit. Okay. Um. So game six, you had Blake Snell versus Tony Gonsolin. Gonsolin, and in the first inning, top of the first inning, who hit a solo home run? I was the waiting for you to follow. Randy. Yeah, pretty much. Um. His 10th in the postseason. 10. All-time record. 10. That's that's a crazy number. And he is third of the World Series. And um, Gonsolin actually got knocked out in one or two-thirds innings. And Dave Roberts said he wasn't going to be an opener. He, he, he was bullshitting on that one. Well, I mean, when you allow two runners on in the first two innings, and you really... Honestly, you gotta take him out because the other lineup has seen seen him too well. I mean, they replaced they actually like now that I'm seeing it, they replaced him with two men on and Randy Abons Arena at the plate. So I can't be too upset at that. You can go ahead. I was just butting in right there. Um, the the guy they replaced him with though was um Flora. Yeah. Um, and he actually. He threw he threw Randy Bonds Arena three straight changeups, bro. Yep. And he whipped on all of them. And on the last one, it was a foul tip. And it was funny because you could tell by the body language that a Rose and Randy thought he fouled it off. And that was a big play because I could have won them the game. And the fact that the Rays, I knew if the Rays didn't at least get a run or two in the two opportunities they had in the second, in the first and second innings, 
that didn't work in a winning game. I agree with that because they also blew uh, a shot, uh, two men on, only one out opportunity in the first as well. So right, they had two. They had two opportunities like that in the first two innings, and they needed to maximize both of those. And Kevin Cat Blake Snell was dealing. Yeah, all his pitches. He struck out dog. He struck out five of the first six hitters he faced. Justin Turner, Corey Seager, and, and Mookie Betts were over six for him with two with two strikeouts each. So that's six strikeouts over six through their first two turns in the lineup. He was dealing and he was very efficient as well. Unlike some other starts Blake Snell has had. Because he nibbles a little bit sometimes. And he can get, you know, he I can, feel like he just lives on the edges of the zone with his stuff. He was on point. Like there was no Yeah. Like he was he, he was getting 0-2 counts, 1-2 counts every hitter through the lineup. And you just don't see that with a lineup that good. They looked helpless. Yeah. Like, there was a real shot he could have drew a no-hitter if he had a little bit, a little bit more luck. Because when you strike out nine on 73 pitches and five and one-thirds innings with no walks, Kevin Cash should have let him go until at least the seventh at that pace. Okay. So here we get to it. Let me like set the stage. It's the bottom of the sixth inning. The Rays are up one to nothing on that solo homer in the first. They haven't done anything offensively since that point. You got Blake Snell, bottom of the sixth again. He's facing eight, nine, and one. He retires AJ Pollock on a regular pop up. And then gives up a single to Austin Barnes, the catcher, number nine hitter. And with that, the next hitter up would have been Mookie Betts with a runner on base and one out. That would have been Mookie's third time facing Snell. Snell was at like 73 pitches, if I'm not mistaken. He had been untouchable all game long. Like seriously, like they were... I, I was following the game on the uh, on the app, and I would see like the location on some of the swings and misses, and I was li- and I was like, dude, like these got to be some ugly ass swings that they're putting on these pitches. They and... were. They look. They look. They look like kids. They look like children. Okay, so it's even worse than I thought. So, in that situation, one on one out, with Mookie Betts coming up to face, you know, Mookie Betts in the top of the order to face Snell for the third time a Snell that's been dominant so far mind you this Kevin is like Cash. this is yeah, one of the only games in the regular season or postseason that, that Mookie best struck out twice yeah Seager and Turner as well no like this is no like this is one of the only games that Mookie Betts had in the regular season or the postseason in 2020 where he struck out twice no I know that but, but I'm yeah, yeah like I know but I I'm just saying, like, he also struck out Seager and Turner. Like, he was yeah, so I went over that the top of the order. Yeah, like, yeah. he struck out all... He, he had six total strikeouts against the top three batters in that lineup. And mind you, those are the best three players on that team offensively yep. in, the, in the postseason. Yep, exactly. So what does Kevin Cash do? He pulls Snell from the game <laughs> to bring in Nick Anderson, the guy who had been the best raised reliever in the regular season, but also a guy who had 
no way of getting anybody out in the postseason since day one of the postseason pretty much had he hadn't he allowed at that point like six like a run in like six straight appearances which i think is a record i think so yeah so cash pulls snell for nick anderson what happens then mookie bets immediately doubles then nick anderson throws a wild pitch against Corey seager austin barnes scores mookie goes to third game is tied 1-1 runner on third base one out then Corey seager grounds to first but mookie bets shows off that he is an elite base runner actually and scores anyway Corey seager safe at first and then nick anderson does get the you know they he does get turner and muncie out for the final two outs but the rays entered the inning leading one nothing they leave it without snell on the mound trailing two to one in an elimination game and boy well only nine outs social left. media was pissed i was i was livid I was not surprised that he pulled him. Not going. I wasn't you. surprised either. I was mad it was Nick Anderson. That's the thing. Because um, Nick Anderson had been terrible all full season. He was tired. Um, even though he was, it was weird because he was elite in the regular season. He only had like a point oh seven seven oh point seven cent ERA, which is ridiculous. He struck and out like forty four percent of hitters face. Yeah, and he should he should have known that. Kevin Cash should have put in Diego Castillo, maybe, or all the guys he had in a bullpen, and you were the, the one that's, that's literally doing the worst. Yeah, so let's talk about the decision. Because it has a lot of layers to it, right? I think we can both agree, we personally would not have pulled Snell from that game. No, I would have let him go on. Uh, if Mookie Betts um, starts to rally against Snell, so be it. I agree with that. At that it point, it will be a tie game. Yes, at that point, a Blake Snell that's rolling like he is has been. He has been rolling all game. A Blake Snell that's been rolling like he is is your best pitcher. The point of analytics, sabermetrics, is to put your best players in the most important spots in the, in game, the game to help you win. Right. You want Blake Snell on the mound in that situation, in my opinion. Now, while I, while I, and I sure I'm, like I said, I can speak for both of us. We don't agree with pulling Snell. I think we also, both of us saw it coming and we oh, no, understand. Was, yeah, that's what the, that's what the Rays do. And that's what postseason baseball is. Um, cause when you look at it, you got Mookie Betts, you got the top of that Dodgers lineup. You got Mookie Betts, Seager and Turner. Who all already saw Blake Snell twice, even though he's been on fire. Going up against, going up to bat with, it was it was one runner on and one out, right? Yeah, it was one. Yeah, it was one out. So at the very least, he had to face Mookie and Seager. Seager. Mookie's Mookie and Corey Seager was the World Series MVP, and he literally bat like four hundred or something like that in the World Series. Yeah, it was so, insane. I get it. You want to give him a different look. 
but Nick Anderson? Yeah, not Nick Anderson, bro. No. I understand pulling Snell, considering that we're talking about Kevin Cash, we're talking about the race. I understand them doing so. I expected it. I don't like it, but I understand it. But for Nick Anderson, bro? Hell no. And it was not even a fact of like, you know, you, you know, we've got to look at splits. I think that this was just a fact that Blake Snell has been known to not pitch deep in the games. He's been known to fall apart a little bit when he goes, you know, through a lot of three times. Yeah. When he, he, he's been known for this. So we also got to say this to like paint the full picture because right. it, because it's not fair to just say, oh, you know, fuck Kevin Cash. They need to fire him. I always laugh at people who say that because it's like, dude, this guy literally just managed your team, your underfunded ass team to a, a World Series game six with one of the lowest payrolls in the league. You are going to fire him. I'll take him on the Rockies. Fuck that. But anyway, it doesn't make sense to not paint the full picture. Blake Snell is known for not pitching deep in the games for running his pitch counts up and for falling apart, like I said, a little bit the third time through the order. So I'm sure that was on Kevin Cash's mind. Now, everyone knows baseball players are, are obviously not robots. They don't perform the same all the time, but analytics don't tell you to pull Blake Snell from that game. Analytics tell you that there's a chance that Blake Snell is gonna be a little bit worse third time through the order than the first two times. Kevin Cash, just my opinion, I've said it a million times, Kevin Cash jumped the gun. He did. He, he overthought it. Yeah, he jumped the gun. I, my like, like my threshold for danger would have been um, Will Smith. Personally, I let him face Mookie. I let him face Corey Seager. I let him face Justin Turner. I let him face Muncie, of course. If Will Smith gets to the plate with a runner on base, I take Snell out of that game. I agree because of the right that. lefty split. Because when you think about it, the top four, you got two righties and two lefties. Yeah. And, and Mookie is really like, he's good. He's equal, he's equal against righties and lefties. So Yeah, and Mookie, he, he was in the same division as Blake Snell for years. So he knows what he's getting. What he's getting. Yeah, he's seen him many times before. I agree I'm not with you. Sure, man. Um, I think sure. my threshold would have been Will Smith, even if the Dodgers had a lead. And then you start fresh in a whole new inning with a whole with a whole new reliever. Exactly. You don't want to put relievers on with runners on base. You trust Blake Snell to get you out of that inning, even if you want to pull him to begin the seventh. That's fine. That's how you got there. That's fine. But trust Blake Snell to pitch out of trouble, and don't replace him with Nick fucking Anderson, dog. I would have understood Castillo. Wouldn't have liked it. I would have understood Castillo. I would have understood Fairbanks. But what a gajillion other guys they have in that bullpen. Yeah. It's also important to, uh, to say that the bullpen allowed those two runners, no, allowed two, two runs to score and then allowed one more run on a home run in the bottom of the eighth. But at and but I mean at the end of the day, all this talk really means nothing, because guess what, people? The race scored one fucking run. Yeah, when you when you hold the Dodgers to three runs, you got it. You got to win, or you got to. Yeah, if you hold the Dodgers to three runs, you don't win. You deserve to lose a World Series. That's Pretty just much. it. Yeah, you said it. They did nothing against Julio Diaz, and 
the Rays were the epitome of three true outcomes hitting all postseason long. It's what got them there, but it's also what lost them the game. I mean, I don't know how Willie... Dude, when I saw Willie Adamas walk out there with two outs, potentially the last oh, time... Oh, it was over. I was like, this dude's going to strike out on three pitches. And sure enough, he struck... <laughs> looking. He struck out looking. Yeah. Fastball right down the fucking... Fastball, line. fastball, fastball. It was, it was, it w- it was tough to watch, dog. Because every race hitter not named Arotharina uh, or G-Man Choi or like Yandy Diaz, they all sucked. Yeah, they put up terrible at best. You can tell they were just. Joey Window was actually pretty good too. He had some, yeah. He, he had good at bats, although he had a little bad luck. Um, but I mean, the, the Rays lost how they how they won. Um. Low scoring, relying on defense and pitching. Exactly. I think that I do find it, you know, I do kind of find it admirable in a way that Kevin Cash went out basically with his philosophy. Like he said, if I win, it's because of my philosophy. If I lose, it's because of my philosophy. I kind of admire that. It's a bit stupid when you consider context, but I kind of admire that. Not going to hold you. Like him sticking with his guns to the death. When I watch him, man, she reminds me a lot of Tito, especially when it comes to pitching changes and stuff like that. So I mean, I get it. Um, and mind you, he was he was on Tito Francona's staff. He was he was a bullpen coach, actually. That makes sense then. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm going to give Kevin Cash the benefit of the doubt. He's easily a top three manager in baseball, no matter what. This doesn't change that either. Um, yeah, it doesn't. It wasn't the it wasn't tr- switching pitches. I was wrong. It was the pitcher he chose to go with. And exactly. We can reiterate that, but it's probably going to fall on deaf ears. It will because people want to hate on, on analytics, despite the fact that the Dodgers, the only team in baseball as analytically inclined as the Rays, just won the fucking World Series. Right. But exactly. No, let's look past that. Let's get back to old school baseball because gut feel has never done a manager wrong. Right? Get the fuck out of here, man. If you got any comment on that whole shit, because people always talk about fucking John Smoltz. He always talks about how you should always manage with gut feel in the postseason. You got any comments on that? Because I actually have one. Like, It doesn't make any say. sense. Cause... I just watched. Dude, listen. I just watched the 2000 World Series. I watched a couple games, not like full, of course, but I watched a couple games. Game five of that World Series, the clincher for the Yankees. The Mets, with their season on the line and their best relievers, warmed up in the bullpen, sent their starter back out for the ninth inning when he was at like 130 pitches. And guess what happened? They lost. With the game tied at 2-2. Guess what happened? The Yankees walked it off or something, didn't they? Here's what happened. Al Leiter, who, by the way, works at MLB at, at uh, MLB Network right now, he got the first two outs of the inning. Then he walked Jorge Posada, gave up a single, then another single. Then a throwing error, scored two runs. The Yankees won it. 
that was a gut feel call sticking with your starter who was throwing like 150 fucking pitches with your season on the line you know what else was a gut call Grady Little leaving Pedro Martinez in the fucking game what happened that game Pedro blew it I guarantee you if Boston goes to one of their good relievers in that spot the Red Sox go to the 2003 World Series I guarantee you that Gutfield also helped create the monster that was the narrative of postseason Kershaw the amount of times this man was left in there to die when he was clearly done and had nothing left because of gut feel. Yeah, Dave Roberts pretty much um, destroyed Clayton Kershaw's what should be a sterling postseason career. And, and Matheny. Yeah, and Mike Matheny and Don Mattingly. Yeah. Willie Adamas said it. I don't think Clayton Kershaw is bad in the postseason. He used to get left in games too long. I agree with that. When, and I also agree with the bullpen blowing shit for him as well. Absolutely. Um, the bullpen, the Dodgers bullpen, it seemed like every time they, they relieved Clayton Kershaw with two guys on, two outs, they couldn't get the out. Yeah, every time Kershaw left runners on base, you best believe those runners were going to score. <laughs> it was it is actually remarkable, but now that, we, that we've actually gone to it, I can actually say I'm happy for Clayton Kershaw. I am. I'm a Rockies fan. I'm happy for Clayton Kershaw. He deserved it. Oh, wait. I got another one. Yeah, go ahead. Game four was gut feel. Because you remember Dave Roberts said, I felt like Kenley Jansen could, oh. was going to be competitive. And I felt yes. like, and I felt like he, wanted to prove, he wanted to prove something wrong in the bottom fucking of the night. dummies. Yeah, Jansen shouldn't have been anywhere near the mound in game no. four. Good. Well, he should have left on Blake Shrining or he should have went to Joe Kelly. And Joe Kelly didn't get any burn this postseason. Yeah. Or was he ineligible because he got suspended? I don't know. I, I think it was eligible. He just didn't pitch. Because he didn't pitch a single inning. Then something might have been up because that would be weird. That's very weird. Kelly Jansen out there. And 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 Dave Roberts did this before. He did it last year with Kershaw as well. He does this every you know, year with Kershaw. Did they, they go to postseason? Like Literally. sticking with these guys, you know, to make sure and that the 2017 World Series, Series when um he does this with Kershaw and Kenley Jansen, like when Mar Marwin Gonzalez hit that three run homer. Yeah, he broke him. He, and he broke his ass. Oh my goodness, he crippled that man. It was like when Bane uh, dropped Batman on his knee and broke his back. <laughs> Literally. That's a fact, bro. And Kelly Jansen still hasn't gotten out the fucking hole. <laughs> that's so accurate. I'm, I'm fucking crying. That's accurate as hell. Like, that's all I... That's, whenever I rewatched that World Series, because that World Series was a fucking classic. Yeah, it is. It's a and, shame that it's tainted. Yeah, it is, because... You, I'm one of like those guys in the Astros, but because they're so talented. Why? We're not going to get into that. We've gone on that too many <laughs> times. But every time I see that three-run homeward that Marwin hit, I just imagine when he dropped that man on his knee and broke him like a pack of Walmart spaghetti noodles. That's, 
That's a fact. And Kelly Jansen still has not recovered. He is not. He has not been the same pitcher since that day. No. In, in no facet. And he probably never will. It was like honestly. when um Albert Pujols broke uh Brad Lidge in the 2005 yeah. NLCS. Yeah. With that Pretty fucking much. moon, with the, in the same stadium, and that moonshot off the fucking train tracks. Oh my goodness, Albert Pujols was amazing. Yeah, he was incredible in his prime. That's that's pretty because I actually kind of feel robbed that I never saw him as prime because all I all I, all all I've seen is fucking the late stages. He made it look so easy, bro. It it was the bat speed was just so easy, like he just the way he would just turn his wrist and when, when he pulled the ball because he used to go opposite a lot too but when he would just when he would get a hanger or he'd get one in the middle or the inside and he would just turn his wrist over and it looked so easy like it wasn't even a home run swing it looked like he was hitting batting practice and when it would go out it would just keep on going like Albert Pujols just made the game look so easy because the dude was just a good-ass baseball player. Because when he first came up, he was bounced all over the place defensively, but he wasn't that bad. He, he just played first really well, and he was a goal first baseman, and he and he could rack up defensive run saved at first, which is insane to do. And yeah. the, the dude could steal bases. Like, he had a couple of seasons when he stole almost 20 bases, which is, which is ridiculous for a, for a first baseman. Like I think the best baseman, the first baseman I've ever seen personally is Paul Goldsmith, because because Goldie could could put up thirty two steals in the season if he really wanted to. I agree with that. I mean, Goldsmith. I think Goldie's done it before. I, yeah, I'd say Goldsmith is the best. I, I'm I'm trying to think. I can't. Well, I mean, no, Votto, Votto. I I'll I'll give it to Joey Votto. I think Goldie's better. Base running. Oh, I mean base runner for sure. Base running, yeah. Defensively, oh, I mean. I thought you I, was talking overall. I, th- I thought you were talking no, overall. Just base. I was talking about just base running, but. And Goldie, yeah. Um. But our pulls was just. He was different, La, La Machina, and that's what I hate when people started giving the machine nickname to players on every team because it's a common baseball nickname. Like, they should stop that shit. Albert Pujols yeah. is a machine. Albert Pujols is a la machina. Yeah, that's like, that's like a basketball player getting called his airness. Yeah, no. like, no, no, no. and no. I feel like we really kind of forget about Pujols because how how bad he was on the Angels. But when you look at it, he wasn't outright awful. I mean, the dude was. Out of his prime and old, and he was still putting up a 99 WRC plus season, which is decent. I mean, it's not, he's still league average and he's, he's, he's a shell of himself. Yeah. I think that also, like, that Pujols contract is like a landmark in baseball history to me. Yes. Because after that point, teams stopped giving those fucking deals to players 31 or older. Like hell no, because I think the pool holds deal, I think that deal was justified in the steroid era when you had dudes thirty nine years old hitting like they were twenty six. Right. But and when you look in- at Pujols' <laughs> play style with his swing and everything, he's yeah, a clown. Was gonna be rough. 
I actually yeah, feel like Miguel Cabrera was more of a milestone than Pujols was. I think I, I'm not sure about that one because I think the Pujols contract has like more fame to it because like Cabrera was already signed to a massive deal before that, and it was kind of like more like an extension in sorts. Okay, that's fair. But like the Cabrera one is pretty bad too. I'm not gonna hold you. <laughs> There's been some bad contracts out in baseball, but yeah, like hitters like Pujols. Who depend on bat speed and I mean Pujols walked a lot, but like his 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 skill. He didn't even really walk a lot. He only walked maybe. Well, he had a couple seasons where he walked a lot, but what made Pujols so special was he barely struck out. For a power hitter, yeah. Like the dude, like he had Jose Ramirez strikeout rates and contact skills with eighty grade power. That that actually makes it even more impressive that he walked as much as he did because to strike out that little, you got to swing a lot at borderline pitches. Exactly, exactly. When you're putting up, you you hit 180 hits or more in a season, and you're still not striking out a lot, and you're still using that remaining amount of remaining amount of play appearances where you're not hitting into an out in order to walk. It's a, it's a true testament of skill, and I don't think people really comprehend that correctly. Yeah, because most hitters who strike out very little also don't walk a lot. Applies to a guy like, for example, like Nolan Arenado, for example. And I say this because I know it. The only reason he walks at an, at an above average you know, clip is because he gets nothing to hit. Because <laughs> he swings at everything. Yeah. But like, yeah, like we kind of like got uh, sidetracked because we actually have a couple topics uh, to cover. Uh, you want to give uh, Kershaw some props? Because I, I, I already gave Kershaw all the props I can give him. Like, I, can, I already gave Kershaw all the props I can contractually give him as a Rockies fan. So, um, Kershaw is underrated and postseason in terms of postseason, he's very underrated and honestly. If he didn't have shitty incompetent managers, his postseason numbers would look a lot better. And casual fans are idiots with the way they fucking bomb on him. He has a 4.3 ERA in the postseason. He's garbage. He's not a true Hall of Famer. Casual baseball fans look at postseason baseball the same way they look at postseason basketball, football. It's, it's completely different. Yeah, me and. Too. Clint Kershaw, Clint Kershaw is a is is truly a victim of, of casual baseball fans and their perspectives. In my opinion, yeah, he's a victim of the narrative. Plays for an LA team, has been the untouchable ace for like a decade. He's a target, like let's just call it what it is. And he's a lefty, I mean, so he obviously follows the Sandy Koufax. Yeah lineage and obviously has to do a curveball as well so that plays into it also yeah so congratulations to to Clayton Kershaw Corey Seager was the World Series MVP well deserved and yeah I don't think I can stomach talking about pause I don't think I can stomach uh, talking about the World Series anymore also I think Corey Seager also displayed a lot of narrative too because remember he had a couple seasons after his rookie year where he struggled and that was yeah, big because I remember he was involved in the trade talks for Lindor. And I'm glad he shook those off because he's he's a very talented player. And he's also a little bit underrated in his own right, in my opinion. 
I think so. He's a top three shortstop. Okay. Especially defensively, because I remember people were like, oh, he should move to third. I remember when he had a little bit of struggle, when his arm yeah. was um, walking on him a bit before he got Tommy John? I think he'll move to third eventually. Eventually, yeah. Well, the big shortstops like Correa and Seager, and they're going to move to third. I think Trevor Story probably stick at third, just stick at short just because of his range and his speed. Because he's way faster than the other big shortstops in the league right now. Yeah. Story's only problem might be his, his throwing arm. But... He doesn't have a good arm? He has a good... Like, he has a strong arm, but he has, like, a fucking... Like, watch him, like, throw the first. He has fucking weird delivery. And he sometimes... It's like sometimes he's almost, like, tentative with how he throws the first. He doesn't, like... Like, like Javi Baez, for example. Like, when you watch him throw the first... Like it, it's just like smooth. Like he just fucking whips the arm. Oh, he just like yeah. He, uh, he's very accurate. I say him and Puerto Rican shortstop like him and Lindor are just very accurate with the with their arm. Yeah, Story has a very strong arm, but he's not as accurate because he sometimes like tries to like not put as much force behind the throw. Okay, so he's trying to protect great. himself and probably. Like, Tulo also did that as well sometimes. He didn't throw full force. I mean, Tulo had a cannon, so I mean. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Like, <laughs> like, I wouldn't be surprised if Tulo threw one and it went through the, the, the first baseman's webbing and went through his face or some shit. Yeah, that's a fact. So, I think that's the World Series for me. I talked about it too much. Uh, congratulations to the Dodgers. Congratulations to the Rays. Please don't fuck up again, Tampa Bay. I fucking hate you. Increase the payroll. So, moving on. Um, Should have been Cleveland, but <laughs> no, not with that offense. Get the fuck out. If anybody's gonna put up two runs in multiple games in the World Series, it should have been Cleveland. <laughs> Lindor doesn't deserve to go out like that. I'm sorry. He'll be with a different team next season, so you can. Maybe get your way. All right, uh, fuck you, bro. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm right. Um, he, but you didn't have to say it, okay? You, we we that, that, that everybody in their mama know Lindor is getting traded for, for fucking peanuts. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can laugh at me when uh, Noah and this story both get traded at next year's deadline for a bag of empty Doritos. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, it'll all be fair by that point. So anyway, um, we got we got two more topics to talk about. We got managers, we got qualifying offers, and, free and the free agent margin. And we also got to talk about um, the Mets sale. Oh yeah, you want to start with manager first? Because yep. I feel like you do have quite a bit to say on a certain hire in Chicago. <sighs> okay, all right. Oh my God, that sigh. I'm going to grab some fucking water. Oh, my God. All right. The Chicago White Sox fired Rick Renteria this offseason, which kind of made sense. Um, considering they're at the position where they're kind of open up the next playoff condition window as they line up there, as, as they call up their, their, their wave of talent, young talent that they have. And... They hire Tony La Russa. 
Tony LaRusa. A fossil. <laughs> oh man. Um Okay. All right. This should Tony make La- no goddamn sense. Tony LaRusso was born in 1944. 1944, bro. This bro dude, this motherfucker he he was born with when World War II was still a thing, bro. Yes, like he was born Four months after D-Day happened. <laughs> now, mind you, he started managing in 1979 at age 34. At the time, he was the youngest manager in baseball. And Tony Russo, actually, he didn't really invent analytics, but he was one of the first managers to openly use the term analytics and and openly say he, he applies them into philosophy as a manager. Mind you, this is back in like 1990 something, so it doesn't really fucking count. <laughs> oh shit, this is funny. And Tony Russo, he's a Hall of Fame manager. He has he's managed 5,000 games. He has a 53 percent winning percentage in his career. He has 2,700 wins. He has three World Series wins. Three World Series rings. He took his team's six pennants, and he has four. He's a four-time manager of the year. He was inducted as a manager in Hall of Fame in 2014, and he also played in the MLB as well. Like, I read this tree thing, and he played with Hank. He played with Hank Aaron, and Hank Aaron played with, I think, Eddie Matthews or somebody, and they played with some guys that played back in. When baseball was pre segregated and shit, and it just show, it just pretty much shows how how fucking old he is. Um, but that's my problem with him isn't really just his age, even though that's a part of it. Because Tony Larusa has managed some personalities in his career. When you manage a, a Oakland A's pennant that has Ricky Henderson and fucking Dave Winfield and all those. Crazy angry guys on those teams in Oakland back in the day. Canseco, Canse- Jose Canseco and shit, Maguire, all of those. You get some credit, okay? But when you're a fucking wrinkly old bigot like Tony Larusa is, why are you putting him in a fucking clubhouse full of Afro Latino and Black American players? <laughs> Does that make fucking sense to you? No. <laughs> Does that make fucking sense to you? You hired a guy who went on a rant about how players should sit in the fucking clubhouse if they're kneeling, and you had a fucking seven Afro-Latino black guys that kneeled last fucking year when fucking black people were getting shot up and they started to fucking play baseball and shit. Really? Really? You hired a guy that, that went on a, a fucking temper tantrum when Fernando Tati Jr. hit a grand slam up 7-0 on a 3-0 pitch. And Tim Anderson is your fucking leadoff guy? Really? That's what you do? Jerry Ryan, so if that's what the fuck you do, you felt hey, bad because you fired a guy after his first stint and he's your friend, so you hire him again and you cut off your, your GM's balls because you want <laughs> fucking Tony La Russa to be your fucking manager? Hey, dog. 
how yo that press conference with the rig hand that no, man it he was telling no he didn't want he nothing was... to do with that shit <laughs> he might quit bro he said look it wasn't me that's basically what he fucking said i'm yeah. paraphrasing right now but what the man said was what you guys are pretty much take away from this is tony LaRue should be saying thanks jerry now you really can't get more fucking cryptic than that with it with a gm right This is one of the dumbest fucking things I've ever seen. And mind you, like, we're talking about Jerry Reinsdorf, the dude that broke up the 1990s Bulls. <laughs> now, we could bring in Ohi. I could call Ohi right now and have him going a whole fucking rant about that. But we won't do that because we'll be here until tomorrow. Exactly. So, I'm going to put this in layman's terms. Tony LaRusha should not be a fucking manager in Major League Baseball in 2020. In 2021 it shouldn't be happening there's no reason for this to be happening i thought alex core was a perfect fit me too i was alex core honestly he should be the manager of this baseball team he gives a young core he's multilingual he's latino he's he played the game and he proved he could win a World Series, and he knows what the fuck he's doing. And he has one of the best young cords in baseball, and your and four or five of your best position players are fucking black. That should have been his. It should have been his. It should have been his job. Right after Rick Renteria was gone, with the culture you had, and then with Alvin continuity, because you would have had two bilingual managers in there too. Oh, Tony Russo knows Spanish. I don't give a... Does he? Well, Tony Russo probably... He, he does know Spanish, but still. Do I want the old rookie motherfucker in my face talking Spanish? No. Like, the thing that kills me here is that the White Sox had, undisputedly, the most attractive manager opening in baseball by a mile. Absolutely by a mile they had their choice they could pick anyone this managers and then even potential they didn't do a real due process yes like there was manager potential managers lining up for the job please let me manage this fucking team that's set for at least six years and has a good longer than that eight to, eight to ten years because remember they got pretty much their whole core locked up already that's a fact. And mind you, they're probably going to sign George Springer this offseason, too. I don't know about that. That's a lot of money, but... I think they will. They even if they even don't. If they still have the best core in baseball. Young core, I mean. Yeah, it is... It's incomprehensible. The fact that there was no, like, search process for this. I think that's the part that really blows my fucking mind. Because... I remember Rick Hand said after they fired uh, Renteria, which, by the way, kind of made sense to me. I was expecting I feel like they should, they should have gave him one more year. They could have. It would have. It would have been just a foul to give him one more year. I agree, but like I, I didn't have an opinion on it. I just, I, I was expecting for them to do it. If they would have kept him around, I would have been fine. I mean, I, I, I don't root for the White Sox, so like you know, I don't care at that level. But like. It was insane to me 
because Rick Hand said we're gonna do a do you know we're gonna do our due diligence we're gonna do a whole search and Jerry Reinstor pretty much cut his nuts off and told him this is who you who you're gonna hire like it or not and they didn't interview anyone else Tony fucking Larusa in 2021. When 15 minutes after you sign a guy, there's reports that people in the front office are furious and puzzled by this by the decision. Something is wrong, bro. There's gonna be free agents that don't want to go there. Marcus Stroman favored a fucking article that I'm that you know I'm talking about where he said, "Yeah, Marcus Stroman would have been perfect." Yeah, you know what's funny? I saw Marcus Stroman as like. You know, like one of the in MLB.com, they were talking about, you know, the qualifying offer predictions and who might reject them and all that shit. And there was like in the top, you know, the top free agents by position. And it was like, man, if Marcus Stroman rejects his offer, White Sox make perfect sense. Perfect sense. A black house, a clubhouse full of black players playing in Chicago. It's laughable. It's just laughable. It's laughable. It's disgusting. It's it's, 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 it just shows how how backwards and racist baseball still is. And I can't wait for this meltdown to happen so I can fucking go on Twitter and spew jokes and shit all over. People are like, Tony Roof is going to remove analytics from baseball in Chicago. <laughs> fucking idiots. <laughs> Fucking dunces, all of you. Everybody who Jerry Ransdorf and everybody that agreed with Tony LaRusa being a manager in twenty twenty one needs a fucking dunce cut. I agree. I can't wait for Nick Madrigal to be hitting second. Oh my god, I'm gonna commit Sapuku. <laughs> no, mind man, you. Man said Sapuku, bro. <laughs> as a Cleveland baseball fan, I am excited. Yeah, like that's what I was about to say. I'm like the And that's not even important to me right now. Yeah, like this. How much it bothers you? <sighs> it is fucking insane. It managed to actually overshadow the fact that AJ Hinch got hired again. <laughs> Good job, Jerry Reinsdorf. That's all I'm gonna say to you, you glorious bastard. Good job. Good job. Potentially fucking up your team's clubhouse. Drive away, Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan. And 20 years later, you possibly put at Jeopardy one of the best young cores baseball has ever seen. Now, mind you, there is a chance this all ends up working out and the White Sox are okay. But there's also a good chance that this ends up blowing up all over Jerry Ryan's face. I'm talking like La Russa might lose the locker room. If he doesn't, if Tony La Russa is not on his shit, he might lose the locker room on game 50, bro. Oh, it's going to be so bad if they want to be on a fire sale. <laughs> Dude, if, if if one of their young pieces gets traded because he pissed off Tony La Russa. We, we already know what it's Tim Anderson. That's going to be crazy, dog. <laughs> All right, so we got the White Sox as the potential next uh, drama team. In baseball, because Jerry Reinsdorf is a fucking dunce. Uh, you got. <laughs> I'm gonna be. I, I wish I could just be in a clubhouse every day from spring training onwards. Like I'm I just on the wall. 
I just want to be in those team meetings. How do you? I want to see the looks on those guys' faces when they when he calls them to get in the clubhouse in on February like seventeenth. Dog, dog. This has a chance to be an epic meltdown and beyond description. Think about this: who, who, who are the pitching cultures and hitting cultures and all that stuff? Who is he going to hire for video coordination? Yeah, because like not only did you hire a bigot, you hired a fucking seventy-six-year-old bigot who's probably not as sharp. Probably, like, probably. I'm trying to be nice. Most likely, most likely. No, most don't, definitely. don't be nice. Don't be nice. <laughs> yeah, he won't be sharp. So, I mean, I personally don't have anything else on it. I mean, this is just is both pathetic laughable and sad to me all at once uh i think it's pretty telling that you basically didn't even get to the fact that as a you know as a fan of the of cleveland you are happy about this move but it bothers you so much that you barely even got into that so i don't really care enough yeah like look at that that's crazy that's crazy um yeah like I'm sort of like missing my words here because there's really not else, not a whole else to say. This is the, this is one of the wackiest fucking decisions I've I've seen a baseball owner take since Dick Montfort named himself team president. I, I, I said my piece. You don't let out like seven sighs just on this section alone. That's crazy. Um, AJ Hinch. AJ Hinch, uh, I mentioned it before. Moving on, uh, AJ Hinch uh, is the new manager of the Detroit Tigers. I would, I would bet money that his phone was ringing uh, three seconds after his suspension was up, and the Tigers are the ones who get him. They're an in, they're an interesting team moving forward. Not gonna hold you because AJ Hinch is a proven winning manager, even if he's a fucking cheater, and the Tigers have a lot of good pitching prospects. But, you know, there's still a ways off. So how do you feel about the move? Because it's also a move that affects you directly in your division. Um, I like it. Um, apparently, Justin Verlander talked to Al Davila, the GM of the, of the Tigers, and recommended him. Um, AJ Hitz is, an, is, a, is a good manager. We'll have to see how it plays out because he's always going to have to correlate with how the, the Tigers um, core their young players do. They're going to go as far as their young core takes them. I agree. They're still a ways off, of course. A lot, a lot of years off. That's actually interesting. I didn't read any of that about Justin Verlander recommending him that, but it makes sense. So that's AJ Hinch. A lot of people were mad. A lot of people were very happy. It was like a mix. You, you, I didn't see anyone on social media who was like, yeah, well, you know, we'll see how he does. Everyone was like, this is fucking amazing. I can't believe the Tigers are doing this. Tigers World Series champs 2026. Or people were like, we hired a fucking cheater. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking done with this team. It was like, it was like those two extremes, one or the other, you know? There's no middle ground, as is typical with people on social media. So that's that. Um, that Tony LaRusa shit is going to definitely end up being a snippet, by the way. Um, oh, absolutely. That's probably yeah. the loudest I've ever been. That's definitely the uh you've ever been. Uh, I can attest to that. Um, actually, you want to move on 
and do the free agent market or you want to save that for a latter episode because this one's already pretty long we can we can do the free agent market and we can save the, the Mets thing for something else okay so the free agent market now as you know all the COVID shit all the you know all the money lost by the owners and baseball uh Everyone knew that this was going to have a big impact on the game and a big impact on how teams approach free agency and all those things. I didn't see it getting quite this bad. There's been quite a few players, quality players, who've gotten their qualifying offers declined. A lot of players were expected to be allowed to let go. And there's going to be a couple of teams that are really going to take advantage of this type of market uh the mets are one of them uh we'll talk about their sale but just know they're gonna have a lot of fucking money um some other teams that might benefit like i'm trying to think like do you have any because i'm thinking the teams that might benefit are the teams that need to add pieces right now to compete a lot of pieces because they're gonna get them on the cheap yeah um the angels yeah who knows they might actually find a bullpen for once yeah um the Mets are going to spend big, especially because they have a new owner. Yeah. And he has a lot. He's he's the richest owner in MLB. The Phillies got to add pieces. Yeah. Oh, they better they better resign JT Real Muto as well. I doubt it. I think he goes to the Mets. I agree, but it's going to be a meltdown in Philadelphia if they don't. That was going to be a meltdown. They, that rebuild was terrible. They spend over a hundred... They spent over five hundred million dollars. That they still flushed five hundred million dollars on the toilet. And they still haven't made the playoffs. How do you do that? Yeah, how do you manage to do that? Not even that they didn't make the playoffs. They haven't even since they signed Bryce Harper. They're below five hundred. No bullshit. That's that's pretty amazing. Whew. That's that takes. That takes some skill right there. They might have fucked up their own rebuild. They might have. They definitely did. Because they didn't have the they didn't have the core pieces to even sign. I mean, I know Bryce Harper went where the money was and props to him. He deserves it. He's simultaneously underrated and overrated. As you said, there's no middle ground on social media. And we've been over that before. Um yeah. he's a talented player and when he's on, he's on. But that, that that organization has no idea what they're doing for from an organizational standpoint, just at all. <laughs> I agree, and that that same that same problem can be traced to the Angels, other organizations like that. Um, the Cubs, I think, are also another team that might take advantage of that of that. The White Sox. So, yes, I agree with that as well. So let's go. Uh, like you have like some players because I can recall some players off the top of my head. Who've had their qualifying offers, you know, uh, declined. Colin Wong, uh, John Lester, Brad Hand. Colin Wong and Colin Wong, John Lester, and Brad Hand were their contract options. They weren't qualifying offers. Oh yeah, that's right. My bad. I was like yeah. mixing both of them. So, um, I'm looking right now. Yeah, because I can't fucking recall. Because I just, I just keep, 
I just mix both of them up. But so the point is, yeah, go ahead. Um, players I know for a fact got extended qualifying offers, but they haven't accepted or, or declined them yet. Were Trevor Bauer, Kevin Gaussman, DJ LeMahieu, JT Rumuto, George Springer, and Marcus Stroman. I think none of them are taking them. I think Kevin Gaussman might take his. Who knows? Um, now I know players who who um that Oakland didn't issue a qualifying offer to Marcus Simeon and Liam Hendricks. And neither did DJ Gores and Jelton Simmons. That's a fact. There's gonna be and a lot Michael of players Bradley. out there. So there's a so I'm looking at the list of movie free agents and right now the top ones are Bauer, Riamuto. Springer, Mayhew, Ozuna, uh, Strowman, Didi Gregorius, Kevin Gaussman, Tanaka, Liam Hendricks, Jake Odorizzi, Michael Brantley, Justin Turner. He's going to sign with the Dodgers, though. So. Um, yeah. Marcus Simeon, um, James McCann. That's a really underrated one because he had a really good season before they brought back, um, before the White Sox brought in. That's Lenny Grandal. You got yeah. Jelton Simmons. Jack Peterson, Jose Quintana, um, Nelson Cruz, Jackie Bradley Jr., James Paxton, Tywan Walker, Garrett Richards, Colin Wong, Brad Hand, um, Trevor Rosenthal, Trevor May, Blake Trinan, Tommy LaStella, Corey Kluber, that's option client by the Rangers, um, Charlie Morton, that is an offer to client by the Rays, which is big. Because he's Yo. still really good, even though he's she old. bad as fucking raised. Um, Yadier Molina, Jerickson Profar is going to be big because I think he he has he still has prospect pedigree and he's only twenty eight. Um, Adam Wainwright, although he's he's going back to the Cardinals. Um, Robbie Ray is a big one. Um, Cesar Hernandez, ah, Carlos Santana. <laughs> it was gonna happen eventually, dog. He should retire a Cleveland baseball club member. But um Alex Colome is a free agent. Um Mike Miner, who could be a good bounce back candidate. Um J Hap, Kirby Yates, um, Greg Holland, Adolis Bubu, Drew Smiley. John Lester, Rick Porcello, Cole Hamels, Mark Melanson, Anthony Desclafani, and uh, Chris Archer. And Shane Green, Jake McGee, Matt Moore, Jonathan Scope, Jeremy Jeffers, Robbie Grossman, Kevin Pillar, Adam Eaton, Brad Gardner, Martin Perez, Jonathan Villar, Brad Miller, uh, Joaquin Sarai, Darren O'Day, Brandon Kinsler, and a couple other players. And there's also a big, um, there's also a big shortstop from Korea who's getting posted, and he's um, uh, a power and speed threat who also can stick at shortstop in the major leagues. So he might be a big free agent signing somewhere. I think the one trend I'm noticing with that, and with that whole list you have right there. A lot of above average regular players. Yeah. A lot of above average regular players. And a lot of them are going to be cheap. 
So yeah. they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna settle for one to two year deals because of COVID and yeah. wait till the market resets itself. Exactly. Especially with the um, bargaining agreement expiring next after the end of the 2021 season. Yeah, and that's a potential shitstorm coming that we'll have to talk about. There, 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 might be be some, there might be some stoppage. That's going to be ugly. I think that baseball is encouraged to not have uh, stoppage because they lost 100 games of this season because Olders didn't want to negotiate. Definitely. Uh, but... I feel like when the players knew that, and that's why they kind of grit their teeth and bear with the fact they won sixty. They won with sixty games instead of eighty. And yeah, because now the players have a lot of leverage. Yes, they have so much leverage, especially with COVID and how much the owners have lost. Yeah, they have players leverage. They better point, use it. The players have nothing to lose at this point. Exactly, they better use that leverage. So anyway, uh, that's a lot of talent in those guys you named. A lot of above average regulars. I think that. You know, kind of like we talk about, like Mets, Angels, maybe the Cubs, teams that need to add uh, depth throughout the roster and quality depth, and maybe a couple of you know good starters, everyday starters. Those teams are going to benefit the most. The teams that need maybe like one, like big moves, big stars to get them over the top, those might not as much. I think a team like the Blue Jays might benefit, to be quite honest with you, because they don't have a commitment long term you know uh too many contracts and they might be able to get a couple good players on the cheap to complement the young core that's still cheap so definitely there's there's a lot of bounce back candidates and this on that list as well um, yeah i know ryan Braun got his got his um option to cloud as well ryan Braun's a beast and then will be the show 13 but he's washed <laughs> he is I mean, it had to happen eventually, but actually, wasn't he a cheater though? Yeah, he did take the PEDs. Oh, then fuck that motherfucker. Um. <laughs> so, well, I mean, see, that's the wild part because if you cheat in like the 2010s, then that's wild. Yeah, he got caught in the 2000s. He got caught early. He got caught early 2010s because remember, he he was on the Hall of Fame track early in his career. And then he got off the PEDs and <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna look up his numbers, dog. I'm gonna find him too. I'm gonna look at his numbers. If they some ass, he 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 he, he, go, he go get some jokes from me. He put up a negative one negative point on one war this season. Oh, he's done. He's a first baseman too at this point. So, man. Okay, these are his first couple first season in the MLB in terms of war. Two, four point six, six point two, five point seven, seven point seven, six point nine, one point seven, one point two, and this is after he got caught. Um then he put up a three point three and a four point three war in um 2015, 2016. And after that he was pretty much a league average player. Oh my god. <laughs> Fucking lame ass. <laughs> you can tell when he got caught. Bitch ass motherfucker. Look at him. And they still had to pay him too because remember they gave him that big extension. Yeah. Fuck that guy. He he stole he stole a rookie of the year award from Troy Tulowitzki as well. Oh yeah, that was him. 
the fuck out of here. Oh, two point zero. Ew, that that's just gross. Look at the drop in war. He dropped like five wins in the season after he got caught, bitch ass motherfucker. Oh man. Anyway, yeah, he shouldn't have won that. Actually, man, he only thing he was good at was hitting and Tulo torched him and everything else. He was trash. Tulo and was he like a five more, more He played forty more games. Tulo put up six point eight war. Look at that shit, dog. Get the fuck out of here, man. He lost the vote by two points. That's crazy. That's crazy. That just shows how archaic baseball was back then. That's fucking crazy. I bet it's only because he because Braun hit three twenty four. Fuck out of here. And he hit, man. Um, Braun's numbers in hundred thirteen games are crazy, but. Tulo was just so much better in every other facet of the game, especially defensively. Because remember when Braun came up, he was an awful third baseman. Yeah, there's a reason he moved to left. Yeah, fuck that guy. Um, so anyway, got <laughs> caught up looking at the numbers here. There are a few things I like. I like doing more than fucking going to Fangraphs and fucking looking for random players. I was looking at Keith Hernandez numbers recently, bro. I was like, God damn, bro. Huh? He was pretty good. And he was really good. This, this guy was an on-base machine. Yeah, he was a first yeah. baseman. You don't get that. But anyway. You uh, want to do some free agent predictions? or Free agent predict? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I don't have any, to be quite honest with you. because I, I, I'll, I'll ask you where guys are going. And you can just tell me where you think they're going to go. Okay. We can do like the popular guys. Um, Trevor Bauer. Whoever pays him the most. Okay, so the Dodgers. Yeah, fuck my life. <laughs> um, you're a dickhead for that, by the way. <laughs> I'm right. Oh, he's gonna go to the Dodgers. Okay, JT Ramuto. Mets. I agree. He's gonna get like five years, hundred thirty million or something like. You don't get the fucking bag. That contract's um, gonna look terrible by the last year, but it won't matter. Who knows? He's so athletic. Who knows? Um, George Springer. I'll say the Mets too. Man, if the Mets get George Springer, JT Ramuto, and Lindor in one offseason. Hey, what better way to indicate to your fans that this is an ownership change, right? Right. <laughs> um, Marcelo Zuna. Marcelo Zuna. I think that depends, though, because if the National League keeps the DH, I think the Braves will do anything in their power to keep him. I don't know. I can see him going to the Reds. Um, the, Cleveland, I don't think he goes psych. to the Reds. I think it's too expensive for the Reds. I, you, you, I'm, I'm glad you passed upon that Cleveland joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, DJ LeMayu. Yankees if I, he doesn't ask for a crazy amount I don't know I could see some team give him 60 million just to be stupid I mean I can definitely see that but I think that he I think he's like <clears throat> I think he's fine in New York I think he likes it there and I think the Yankees will be smart they'll put a good contract on the table but they won't do anything stupid okay so, um, Marcus Stroman Blue Jays I say Angels Actually, you're right. He's not going back to the Blue Jays. I say Angels, yeah. You're right. Um, 
Didi. Reds. Yeah, me too. Um, Tanaka. I think he goes back to Yankees. I agree. Um, on, a, I think, on a cheap deal, but yeah. Yeah. Jake Odorizzi. I don't fucking know. No clue who you got for him because it was bad. Um, Angels make sense. So do the Blue Jays. White Sox make sense also. Um, the Rays. Cubs, maybe. Cubs, maybe. Um, I think the Cubs will find a way to bring John Lester back. I agree. Um, Liam Hendricks. Liam Hendricks. Sure as hell not to the A's. They're going to let him walk. Yeah. Um, I think the Phillies or the Astros. I... I'm thinking of it. Like, I'm kind of tempted to say every single team. I'll say the Mets. Fuck that. Yeah, the Mets make a lot of sense. Because the Mets have a dumpster fire for bullpen. Yeah. And Dylan Matanz has picked up a $16 million option. They did? He, no, he did. They gave him a player option for $16 million, bro. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he's picking that up. <laughs> okay. Um, Michael Brantley. Michael Brantley. I think he stays in Houston, to be quite honest with you. I think the Braves. That kind of makes sense. Cleveland also makes sense. Don't, 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 don't give me any <laughs> hope. Don't give me any hope. That was on purpose. Fuck that. Uh, I think. <laughs> you, oh, you, you asshole. <laughs> but yeah, like, I think you're right. I think the Braves do make sense. If they don't Michael, bring back also another is. If Michael Brownlee goes back to Cleveland, I'm going to be doing somersaults. Doing somersaults all the way to 83 wins. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not with that pitching staff. That's definitely a 89-1 pitching staff. <laughs> that's, that's true, though. Which is why I can make the joke, because then I'll be proven wrong, and then you can laugh at me. See, I'm setting, see, I'm setting myself up for the jokes. Um, Justin Turner goes back to the Dodgers. Easy. 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 Um, Marcus Simeon. Jesus Christ. It's tough, because Simeon is a good shortstop, but he's not like an elite shortstop, so I'm guessing that teams that, w- that would... Angels and Reds. I think so. I at this point, the Reds are going to get a shortstop this year because yeah. they want to compete now. Um, who else? The White Sox fans. The White Sox are signing an outfielder. Um, Marcelo Zuna might go to the White Sox. Um, yeah, I think Angels make sense because they're going to let go at Andrew and Simmons. Yeah, that is true. Um, I think James McCann goes to the Phillies since they're not going to resign JT Realmuto. I think the White Sox will do everything they can to get him back. I mean, but when they're giving all that money, they you gonna you think they're gonna give twenty five million a year to two catchers? I mean, if there's even a decision that, to give I mean, to give twenty five million to, I mean, even though that is the best, probably the best two catcher duo in, in the MLB. I can see, I can see, like I can see some team just throwing James McCann the bag. I think he's like a two, two or three year deal. I agree. Phillies make a lot of sense. They seem to be, the Phillies seem to be one of those teams that that seems to think that the best way to fix uh, your woes is just to throw money over them. Okay, so, where do you think Andrelton Simmons goes? I think I think he makes sense. 
to have like a one year deal on a team that maybe isn't competing for a whole lot. I think the Yankees. So you can really yes. I'd actually kind of like to see that because they'll because they'll get him to get every single you know ounce of ability he can get out of the bat and the glove plays by itself. So and that honestly, would actually be interesting. I, I I agree with you, but Yankees fans are gonna bitch and moan, and that's gonna be so annoying because they're not gonna appreciate who he is or what he brings to the table. I don't think so. I I, I think so. Well, you know what Yankees fans I'm talking about. Not the I mean, ones we not the ones we're cool with. No, the like bone, I know, like I know. Ones. I know, but like Andrelton Simmons is an elite defender that by default, like that already makes you more friendly towards the you know, the casual fan who sees you defensively and is like, Oh my fucking god, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, definitely. Andrelton Simmons, he's the best individual defender in baseball. He just he laps everybody else in terms of volume. Another thing is, he also doesn't strike out a lot, which I think plays right into the hands of basically every old school fan out there. Yeah, you know what, DJ LeMayu and Drelton, that makes a lot of sense to bring them back because to quell the strikeout issues the Yankees had last year. I think it's one of the two. I think if they bring back DJ, Andrelton will be nowhere. Okay, fair enough. Um, I'm gonna do a couple more. Jock Peterson. Any team that needs a left-handed hitting outfielder. Astros. So, Cardinals. Astros. Cardinals are a good one, but they're they don't look like they're ready to spend money. So. That's true. I think they might swing a big trade, maybe. Um. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's about. Top twenty-ish guys. Yeah, because like, I think I think someone will take a chance on Robbie Ray, for example. Relievers are really volatile. I doubt it's it's not going to be a good year for relievers. When Brad Hand, when when the Indians refused to give Brad Hand ten million for one year, I knew that it was going to be a really bad year for relievers. Yeah, um, and I also think with Brad Hand, just to give you some context. Um, there wasn't a trade market for him, regardless of how well he performed, because of the fact that he had a velocity drop last year. That kind of makes sense. I mean, he is a lefty though, so he was sitting ninety ninety one, bro. <laughs> Sounds like a Rockies pitcher to me. <laughs> and he was good, and mind you, he, he was commanding. He was really struggling early in the season, especially with his command of his slider. I think he's done. I mean, I don't think he's done, but because he's a lefty. But as it, in terms of the elite reliever, I think everybody saw the decline. I can definitely see because of that that you just said. I can definitely see the Rockies trying to like get him just because they need lefty relievers, and you know, lefty relievers entering a declining phase. Uh, relievers entering declining phases in general. Uh, uh, that's right up their alley. Uh, you also missed uh, one free agent, uh, by the way. Who? Kevin Pillar. <laughs> Y'all gonna give him like thirteen million a year? You already know who you're assigning to, baby. Let's fucking go thirty million over three years, bro. <laughs> he gonna be the starting center fielder. 
Doll is gonna be in left. Charlie Blackman's gonna be in right. Primal Tapi is gonna be on the bench after having a 390 on base percentage. Sam Hiller is gonna be in Triple A because there's no spot for him. Zach Veen is gonna come up, and at that point, Charlie Blackman will still be playing in the outfield because they will have given him a five-year extension this next year. It's a wonderful in Rockies land. Anyway, moving on. Before I kill myself, what else do we have? Um, that's it. All right, so that's it. God damn, this was fucking long. Um, got anything to say to the people? Um, check out my articles. I've been dropping a lot of good shit lately. Um, just put out a record on Cixo Sanchez and Tristan McKenzie and uh, Devin Williams, three black pitchers. Um, very talented. Um, I should have another one out in a couple of days. Um, check out Murray's articles. He's doing great things as well. Um, he's he's got a big thing coming up, a big series. So keep your eyes peeled. Thank pause. you guys for your yes. Keep your eyes peeled. It's pause. He got a big thing coming. It's pause. Uh, oh, okay. All right, my fault. <laughs> um, that was crazy, though. Uh, oh man, that was awful. Uh. Yeah, this episode um, is done. Fuck that. Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> just okay. I'm gonna let's just focus on Tony Larusa snippet. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's just gonna come out. Uh, so this, so this episode's done. Uh, thank y'all for listening. Uh, Pat didn't mean that that last shit he said. By the way, he's not actually gay. Uh, <laughs> thank y'all for listening. This was episode 21. Pinch talk with Mario Pat. Uh. Yeah, man, thank y'all for listening. Check out Pat's articles. Check out my articles. Check out everything. And stay tuned because the baseball offseason is going to be very interesting this year. It's going to be pretty slow, but it's going to be interesting. A lot of narratives. We'll probably be doing, you know, player profiles, historical player profiles, random facts and shit. If you got any questions, send them to the podcast account, which will be down below in the description. And yeah, that's it. Before Pat says anything suspect again, I'm going to shut the episode off. So that was it, people. Thank y'all for listening. Peace.